everybody. Um, I'm Kara. This is Katie. We are um, dietitians here to give you a talk about fueling athletes and kind of making that transition with your nutrition um, and life after sports. So um, just we'll, we'll give a little intro about who we are in a minute. Um, but first, I just want to see kind of show of hands who you guys are. So um, any current athletes that are here? Okay, cool. Couple right. and former athletes. Awesome, same. Um, and any like coaches, support staff, um, that sort of thing. Not yet, any All faculty, right. okay. Cool. Room of athletes. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> um, well, like I said, my name's Kara. I am a registered dietitian and personal trainer. Um, ran track, cross country, uh, swam and did dance all throughout high school. Um, with the goal of wanting to compete at the collegiate level, but ultimately due to underfueling um, myself, my brain, my body, um, during my sports, it got really burnt out my junior, senior year and made the really difficult decision to not continue on at the collegiate level. So, but my sports story has kind of led me to where I am today. Um, it really shaped me as I'm sure many of you, it's really um, helped you develop who you are, your personality, your strength, your leadership skills. Um, so now I am in, I am the owner of my nutrition private practice. Um, I work with nurses. I found that they had a lot of, um, they also had a strong sports history, um, those same characteristics, the strength, the leadership, and um, are now healthcare professionals in former athlete life. So I work with nurses in my uh, private practice. Hi guys, like Kara said, my name is Katie. I am also a registered dietitian nutritionist and I have my master's in sports nutrition. Um, my sports background was very focused and very targeted from a young age. By the age of 11, I had specialized in synchronized swimming. Any synchronized swimmers? No, it was worth a shot. Um, and now it is called artistic swimming. So if you are looking for it in the Olympics, it'll be called artistic swimming. Um, I was fortunate enough to be part of three US national teams from the age of 15 to 17, and then went on to compete at The Ohio State University for all four years, where I was the captain of my team my junior and senior year, and also was the, um, my team was the national title winners my freshman and senior year. So I got the bookends of my collegiate title, or my cre collegiate career. Um, my sports history was similar to Kara's with a lot of underfueling, and it very much plagued my ability to perform at the best of my abilities. I often look back on my, my career and I question, could I have been better? Could fueling have benefited me in more of a way? Because I do feel like it had hindered me and harmed me. Um, being an artistic swimmer, Kara mentioned dance and things like that, there was a lot of focus on aesthetics. And so I had a lot of pressure to lose weight throughout the entirety of my career, which led me to doing some very unhealthy behaviors around food and nutrition, which is what we're gonna talk about more today. Um, because that doesn't just stop when you are retired. It often continues into retirement. Um, so today we're going to talk about the three mindsets that we have found really impact athletes when it comes to fueling. The all or nothing, the burn to earn, and the never good enough. But before I get into that, I want to talk about a study that came out in 2019 that really shed light on the impact of an unhealthy relationship with food that athletes have into retirement. It was a systematic literature review, so if you guys are um, not familiar with what that is, it takes a look at all of the research that is currently out there and gives us kind of a, a synopsis of what it says. What is the research telling us? 
And admittedly, we don't have a ton of research on retired athletes. There is more research that is coming out, which is exciting, but it's minimal. Um, what this study found, and if you're interested, it's called the um, uh, retired athletes in the intersection of food and body. Fantastic piece, I reference it often. It found that up to 65% of retired athletes struggle with maladaptive food behaviors. Now what could that be? That is binging, purging, restriction, obsessive calorie counting, using exercise to compensate for what we eat. These are all things that have sometimes been normalized in our cultures, in our sport culture specifically. I know that using exercise to compensate for food, saying, oh, I just ate cake, now I gotta go run, was very normalized in my sport culture. And that tends to follow us into retirement. It also found that athletes who continue to really cling to their identity as an athlete, which has been a huge topic of conversation in this conference, struggled more with their relationship with food than athletes who were able to recognize that it was a piece of their identity, not their entire identity. Um, and so moving into those three identity or uh, mindsets, if you will, mentalities that really do impact our relationship with food. I'm gonna start by explaining them, giving you a little bit more context, and then Kara is gonna go into giving you some practical applications on what you can do if you recognize that you are struggling with these mindsets. And the reason I shared the statistic with that study is because if you do find yourself struggling, I want you to know that you're not alone. These really aren't things that we talk about very often. We don't openly discuss if we are struggling with restricting during the day and then binging at night, or if we're feeling guilty because we ate Oreos or ice cream or whatever it might be. These are not things that we are openly discussing. And so I shared that statistic to just let you know that if you do find yourself struggling, you are not alone. Up to 65%, which I might even say might be undershooting it a little bit. Um, but for all of the current athletes in the room as well, this study did reflect that that was a significant jump from the 26% of current athletes who struggle with those maladaptive food behaviors. And so you could have had a career where food did not plague you and food was fuel and it was enjoyable and you didn't think about it. But then when you retire, sometimes we develop these behaviors. Or you had these struggles like I did as an athlete and they either continue or get worse when you retire. So going into that first mentality, the all or nothing mentality, we've got that black and white, right? We are athletes, we are either all in or we're not. And what this looks like in food is it could either be I am all in on my diet, I am doing paleo, keto, whole 30, whatever it is, eating clean, I am fully in, or I'm completely off the rails and it's just a free for all. We have that black and white, that polarization with our food as well. Another way this manifests is the good or bad foods. If I were to say to you, hold on to your hats, there are no good or bad foods. Would you want to revoke my dietitian license? Probably. You might be thinking, of course there are good or bad foods. But the reality is there are no good or bad foods. We have placed the morality onto food as being good or bad. Food is just a makeup of chemicals. Our body digests it. It digests carbs, fats, proteins, the composition of it but there is no good or bad food. It also comes down to the dose. How much are you consuming? The consumption amount can really impact whether a food is quote unquote good or bad for you. So when we have that black and white thinking of this is a good food or this is a bad food, it can impact how we feel around that food. Now, why does that matter? Well, how we feel about making a food choice can actually really dictate the food choice that we actually make. Let's say, let me give you an example. You go out to eat with your friends, and everyone orders a salad, but you really wanted a burger. 
And now you're like, well, shoot. Everyone ordered a salad. Like, I can't be the only one that orders a burger. How come? We have that morality placed on burgers or pizza or fries or whatever it is that it's bad. And if I'm the only one at this table who's ordering a burger, am I bad? We associate being good or bad with our food choices. And that often comes back to that all or nothing mindset of either I'm in it or I'm not. There's no room for living in the gray. And so one thing that we are going to talk about is really embracing the gray, which is kind of uncomfortable as an athlete, right? We're either zero or 100. So embracing living in the gray. Um, that is that all or nothing mentality. The second one is the burn to earn, which how many of you guys have heard food is fuel? Mm -hmm. I was going to say, I figured most hands, if not all hands, are going to go up. Um, I remember my sports dietitian saying, like, put good fuel in the tank. There, we, all, we already moralized food. Good fuel, what is, what is good fuel? Who defines good fuel? How do we decide? And so we have this attachment of food is fuel for workouts. Food is fuel for training. What happens when we stop training at the level that we used to? What happens if we take a rest day or a rest week or a rest month? What is food then? Can we still eat? There is this idea with the food is fuel tagline, if you will, that we eat to fuel our muscles, to, excuse me, to perform. And when we don't have that performance, there can be a lot of guilt that comes around eating. That same study I referenced earlier, it actually found that this was specifically with swimmers, um, and there is a whole culture of swimmers. I don't know if we have any other swimmers in the room, but swimmers are constantly eating, right? It's kind of just the mentality like, oh, you see a swimmer, they're eating, that makes sense, right? We, we, we burn a lot, we need a lot. Um, and so the idea that, well, if I'm not swimming as much, maybe I don't eat. Um, but this study focused on swimmers specifically, and it found that when athletes who were swimmers retired, they had this overwhelming sense of guilt if they ate something deemed as unclean or bad, like sugar, sweets, candy, dessert, that sort of thing, on a day they didn't work out. They were constantly trying to utilize exercise to justify and compensate for the foods that they were eating. Well, why is this problematic? Maybe you're saying like, oh, that's not a problem, right? I'm just trying to stay healthy. I'm trying to exercise in order to burn off the food that I ate. Well, the problem with that is what if you can't go to the gym that day and all of a sudden your significant other, your friend, your coworkers, you are brand new at a job and they invite you out to a happy hour and you're like, oh my gosh, yes, but shoot, I didn't go to the gym today. I can't go get chips and guac. I can't order a margarita because your ability to eat is tied to your workouts. So food is fuel, yes, and food is more than fuel, which is something that we often teach to all of our clients. Food is more than just fuel, and it is okay if it is more than fuel. And so while we want to continue remembering that there is sports nutrition out there. My master's is in sports nutrition. There is science and ways that we can utilize food to benefit our performance. Even when you retire, if you want to do marathons, a lot of athletes retire. They go into something competitive. Makes sense. Marathons, Ironmans, CrossFit, whatever it is, we can still utilize fuel to benefit our performance there. And I like to do the and instead of the but. And we can go out to happy hour just because. 
we can go for ice cream with our significant other because um, a lot of the athletes that I work with are actually now older. They, they're in their, uh, not older, but they're in their like late 30s, that sort of a thing, and they have kids, they have a family, and something that they say is, I don't have time to work out, and I also want to be able to say yes to ice cream with my four-year-old, but I feel so much guilt if I can't go for a run, if I can't get a workout in. The reason this mindset is so important to make the switch is because if we continue to attach eating to exercise, there's never going to be peace. And when there's not peace, there's constant maladaptive food behaviors. Binging, potentially purging, over-restriction, relying on calorie counting apps to tell us how much we should or shouldn't eat instead of being in tune with our bodies. If you guys weren't in the last session, the mental health session, the panel that was up here, it was incredible. And one of the speakers was saying, you need to get back in tune with your body. It gives you signals, it tells you. And the same thing with food, but so often we are relying on something external to tell us how much we should eat, which could be a whole nother talk in and of itself. So I will stay on track and I will go into the last mentality, which is the never good enough. And I want to preface before I go into this one, these mentalities that I'm talking about, they benefited us when we were competing. They allowed us to become successful, right? Kind of that all or nothing mentality. We were going all in on our sport. I didn't do any other sports once I specialized in synchronized swimming. That was my focus, and that allowed me to become better. Burn to earn, really recognizing that you do need to train your body to an extent that allowed me to be good in my sport. This never good enough mentality allowed me to have a drive to continue to push so I could improve. So there are positives to these, but there are also negatives. Remembering and recognizing how we can utilize them to help us over hinder us is gonna be one of your biggest pieces, one of your biggest advocacies when you're working on your relationship with food. So this never good enough mentality, this often is attached to body dissatisfaction. My body is never gonna look good enough. And I bring that up because how we feel about ourselves is often tied to how we fuel ourselves. Let's go back to you're going out with friends, right? And you guys take a picture and you're so excited, we're gonna post it to the gram, do a TikTok, whatever it is. And you look at that picture and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't like what I see. You haven't ordered dinner yet and that burger you were gonna order quickly becomes a salad with grilled chicken and dressing on the side because of how you feel about yourself. How you feel about yourself can result in underfueling. It can also result in overfueling. Maybe you're utilizing the scale and you get on the scale and you're like, Yes, the scale went down, now I'm allowed to enjoy food. So then we take it to the all or nothing and we go extreme. Or we step on the scale and we are very upset with the number on the scale and we go to the reverse and we underfuel. And so how you feel about yourself can really determine or feel about your body specifically can really dictate how you fuel yourself. So that never good enough mentality, feeling like your body is never good enough, maybe you're constantly striving to get back to what your athlete body looked like for the retired athletes in the room, maybe you're a current athlete and you're already struggling or fearing, what's gonna happen when I retire? That was me. I was like, oh my gosh, I am already counting the calories and working out all the time. What's gonna happen when I retire? Feeling like your body is never good enough can negatively impact your nutrition and your relationship with food. Um, another piece with that all or nothing mentality, or excuse me, the never good enough mentality is it can drive that perfectionism. 
And perfectionism with food can be very detrimental. If you wake up in the morning, you're like, I got a plan. I'm having yogurt with berries in the morning, and then I'm gonna go to lunch, and I'm gonna have a chicken Caesar salad, and then I'm gonna go to dinner, but then someone at work brings in donuts. And you have four donuts, and you're just like, oh shoot, well, I ruined the day, so forget it. And then you're just rolling down the hill for the rest of the day. That never good enough mentality can make it feel like either I have to be perfect or I'm not. And so the reason we bring these up, and then I'm going to pass it over to Kara because I want to be mindful of time to give you guys an opportunity. If you have questions about food, it doesn't have to be about the topic that we brought up, anything about food. Um, but the, the oh, lost my train of thought. Where was I going? The reason I bring up... <laughs> There we go. We're back. The reason I, we bring up these mentalities is because food is not just what you're putting in your mouth. It's how you feel about it. It's a relationship with it. And as an athlete, we have a more complex relationship with food because we, we have to. We have to utilize it for our benefit when we are competing, which so often spirals up to 65%, if not more, into an unhealthy relationship when we retire. So developing these mindsets around food now can be extremely beneficial for when you do retire. So you can enjoy food. Yes, I want you to eat vegetables. I want you to eat protein. I want you to eat all of the fruits and good healthy things. I don't want to use the word good. Let's take that back. All of the healthy things that are going to support your body. And I want you to be able to enjoy food too. You can have both. You can enjoy food and you can nourish your body. So changing how we think about food can be a really impactful way of shifting your relationship with food. Maybe today's the first day you've ever heard about a relationship with food and this is something brand new but you're resonating with a lot of this. Feel free to come up and talk to us afterwards. Like I said, I'm going to pass it to Carrot to give you some practical ways of implementing changes with these mentalities. Um, but this is not something that is isolated. If you do resonate with this, if you have had those thoughts, it's often normalized to go work out after you eat or work out in order to prepare for cookies, cake, ice cream, whatever it is, vacation. That has become normalized and glamorized, but it is actually disordered. Um, it is a maladaptive behavior around food. So I'm really excited to pass it over to Kara, who's going to give you guys the practical applications here before cool. going into a Q&A. All right. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Katie, for explaining those because the different mindsets, because um, so much and you know, when people are like, what's your number one advice for nutrition? I want to say that it's honestly mindset. Work on your mindset, your relationship with food. Nutrition is that 80 to 90% mindset. And then we'll work on the actual what to eat, when to eat, that sort of thing, the other 10, 20% of the time. So um, I'm going to go through each of those mindsets and give you, you know, wherever you feel like you might fall into one of those category, categories, you may, you may not, um, but some practical applications for those. So I'll start with the all or nothing mindset. So that is you're either all on the bandwagon, all off the bandwagon um, with your eating. And that is Again, staying in that gray area, um, your last meal does not have to control what you eat for your next meal. So you could have a burger and fries one meal, you could have a pizza the next meal if you wanted. Um, of course, there is all sorts of um, consistency and practice and you don't want every meal to be burger and, burger and fries and I'm saying that because I'm craving it right now and that's what I want. Um, but 
you know, some meals are going to be more vegetables and salads and other meals aren't going to be, you know, like this conference right now, this is life. We're here. Not everything is so structured. You may not be what you, you may not know what your next meal is going to be um, right now. And that's okay. It may end up being grabbing a pizza on the way or something quick at the airport, whatever it is. So that all or nothing, it's really hard to live in that black and white space when life is unpredictable. So you can try to be as consistent as possible, but um, we wanna practice being okay with that gray area. And it takes time, like Katie mentioned, learning to tune into your body. It's not gonna happen overnight, I wish it. I wish we could hand you something that would make that happen, um, but it does take time and practice. So I, I remember um, when I did multiple sports in high school, got to my freshman year of college, and I was lost. I swam, I ran, I danced. So when I didn't have a, a team or a structure for that, I didn't, I hadn't stepped foot in like a weight room in a gym before. Um, I had the dining hall to go to where the menu was different. There might've been things that I wasn't used to. Um, I'm used to, you know, the, the team meals and, and your parents cooking food and those sorts of things. So it was a big, a big change um, to adjust to. So the next one, I'm gonna grab my phone notes cause I, need to keep my train of thought um, or I'll go on. But the next one, so burn to earn. Um, learning that every food has a purpose. So you may already know um, vegetables serve a purpose. They give us vitamins, minerals, fiber, all sorts of great things um, that are going to help with recovery and cell growth and all these beautiful things. But just by sitting here being, you are burning calories. Everybody's burning all day long, breathing, sleeping, sitting, standing, walking, all sorts of things, just your daily activities, eating even. Your body's using energy. Calories are just energy, and we all need energy to get through the day. So um, kind of focusing on, okay, I want to eat this, and what is this food going to serve for me? And you may be in a place where you want to um, lose weight. I work with, like I said, I work with nurses and a lot of them are coming to me after years being retired from sport. They're in the healthcare field. They're stressed out and they want to lose weight. They want to feel better ultimately. Um, so there may be times when, you know what, a burger isn't going to serve this purpose and that's okay. Sometimes, you know, the veggies with the um, grilled salmon and the potatoes are going to serve a better purpose for me. So it depends what your goals, your values are with your nutrition, with your body, your mindset around food, but you don't ever have to um, earn your calories just by being um, you are allowed to eat. And then our next um, mindset of never good enough looking at progress over perfection. So again, that gray area that keeps coming up and is not one or the other. So um, progress might look like you might normally order a pizza, but today you're going to order a pizza and have a side salad with it. So you're adding things to it. So when we usually um, through sports, you know, like Katie mentioned, um, and me being in, in dance uh, and being a runner and a swimmer, I had a uh, ballet teacher say, well, you can't be a dancer. You can't do both. You can't do dance and sports because you'll get too muscular being a swimmer and a runner dancers need to be thin. And that creates all sorts of, so like I asked in the beginning, any coaches in here, those are things we don't want to, you know, comment on, on our athletes um, as a side note, but it can create these body image issues that you are never going to feel good enough. I was not good enough to be a dancer, but I had to look and feel and be strong enough to be a swimmer and a runner. So kind of body image and mindset, um, backstory there. But with being never good enough, think about um, adding instead of restricting. So when a coach says something like that, um, in my case, 
immediately many of us, our first thought is, I need to take out something. I can't eat carbs. I can't eat fats. I need to not eat pizza. Um, so all the things we need to take out, but think about what you can add. So you can still have the foods you enjoy, make progress by adding things that add nourishment, nutrition for your mind and your body. Um, our brain loves carbs. It's its favorite thing. Our brain runs off of carbs. It's its favorite source of energy over like protein or fats. Um, and that's okay. We don't just need carbs to work out and run and exercise. So um, thinking of things you can add rather than take away from your diet uh, is going to help you get a little bit more into that gray area, help you see progress over time. Again, I mentioned that word consistency. When you are consistently adding um, those really balanced, healthy things, you will see progress over time. It doesn't need to be a quick um, or uh, extreme fix uh, sort of situation to see progress, to keep seeing results. Turn the mic off, I'm gonna turn it back on. Um, I love everything that Kara just suggested. I think the addition over restriction is something that that's I, <laughs> that's my favorite too. Living in that gray and recognizing that you can have all of the things. You can have the pizza and you can eat vegetables because we do know that they provide nourishment for your body. You can have ice cream and you can have grilled chicken and lean proteins because they're going to provide structure for your cells and promote uh, lean tissues. And there's so many benefits to food. We don't have to silo it. It doesn't have to be good or bad. It doesn't have to be a weight loss or a weight gain food. It can be all of the above, depending on what your goals are. Um, and so we just wanted to see, we've got about 10, 15 minutes here. If you guys, we wanted to open it up. We want to make this very interactive. You've got access to two registered dietitians. Feel free to throw us any of the questions that you guys have about food. Question about the keto diet, let us know. Yeah, Penelope. <laughs> Ooh, I love this. Do you want, want me to you sure. want to take it? I'll, I'll Go kinda, for it. Kinda, let's see. So um, your hunger hormones playing a role in what we talked about today. So living in that gray area, I think, um, has a lot to do with it in terms of um, we can start to, with that black and white mentality, we can start to get away from listening to our hunger and fullness cues. So whether you are doing things um, like that restricting all day and then maybe binging at night, you are really out of tune. When you're restricting all day, your, your body is probably begging you. And I'm saying this because this was me my freshman year of college when I was like, I don't have structured meals. I don't know what to do. Um, I don't feel like there's very many healthy options in the dining halls. So I would restrict all day and at night, I was finally starving, that I would eat way past my fullness cues. I would have to get something finally to get through the day. Um, and uh, so it can cause us, these different mindsets um, can cause us to really move away from listening to those. Um, so it's again that like practice living in that um, gray area, those tips like I mentioned, um, adding things when you can um, instead of taking away immediately will help your body you know, know that it's getting food. So the example I like to give is when we take away for so long, we're under fueling for so long and we're unhappy because we're either staying the same or gaining weight or just unhappy with our body, nothing's changing, but you're working so hard. It can be really frustrating, right? Um, it's like, being in, the, being in the gym, practicing, practicing, you're getting the same times. I know I ended up really frustrated with that in, in swimming. I was training and training hours a day, but under fueling, so my times were staying the same. And it was, it's very frustrating. But when you finally show your body that you're listening to your um, 
hunger cues, you're honoring what your body's asking for, it feels a lot safer. Our bodies want to feel safe, our brains want to feel safe, and can finally start getting more into that, that maintenance, that balance um, that it craves, that it wants. Um, so you're actually going to help yourself by possibly, in many cases, eating a little bit more and listening to those hunger cues. Don't be afraid of hunger. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Yeah, I want to piggyback off of that um, with, with two things. The first, if you're like, what is hunger cues? What is fullness cues? I don't feel like I'm ever full or I'm always hungry. Sometimes if we have had an extended period of time where we have ignored our cues, which sport oftentimes does force us to ignore those cues because from a sports nutrition standpoint, we need to eat maybe when we're not hungry. There is a lot of meshing of the body knowledge and science. So post-workout, we do want to eat, but your body has shut down those hunger cues because it's perfusing energy away from your stomach in order to make your muscles work. And so you're not going to feel hungry after a workout. That's when we use practical knowledge, we call it practical hunger, to fuel our body. So if you are out of touch with your hunger cues and you don't know what that means, sometimes we need a period of time where we do eat more structured to give your body the sense of I'm getting enough energy, I'm getting consistent calories, I know what I'm doing to regulate those cues. Now from a hunger hormone standpoint, coming to the mindsets that we talked about, I actually cut this from my presentation originally, so I'm going to bring it back in since Penelope asked this question. It's called the milkshake study. Has anyone heard about the milkshake study? Fantastic. I'm so excited to share it with you. So Exciting. <laughs> For dietitians, maybe. I yes, I, I nerd out about this stuff. So what the milkshake study actually did was it took two groups. Both groups were given the exact same milkshake. It had the same nutritional content, but one group was told that it was like a slim fast, you know, low calorie, not very exciting shake. The other group was told that it was this overindulgent, delis delicious, rich, very calorie heavy milkshake. And what they did was they didn't only measure how the group felt mentally about it, but they measured how you felt physically and also the physiological response that was happening. So from a mental standpoint, the group that had the light shake didn't feel super satisfied. They were like, meh, I'm, I, I'm hungry, I need more. The group that had the rich indulgent shake, they were like, yeah, that was good, I'm, I'm feeling really good. Well our physiological response actually mimicked that. So there are two hunger hormones that I usually talk about with my clients. It's ghrelin and leptin. Ghrelin, I like to always think about fun ways that you can remember things. Ghrelin is grr, hungry. Your stomach is growling, okay? Leptin is that satisfaction. Um, it makes you feel fuller for longer. And so we want our ghrelin to go down when we eat and our leptin to go up so we're feeling satisfied. Well, when the group that had the light shake measured their ghrelin and leptin levels, their ghrelin actually went went up after they were done eating it. They were so dissatisfied that there was a physiological response. They were still hungry because ghrelin was still high. Their mindset around food had so drastically impacted their physiology. The group that had the full heavy shake, remember they were both the same shakes, actually had lower ghrelin leptils, ghrelin levels and higher leptin levels. And so they felt more satisfied and their physiological response mirrored that. The reason I wanted to bring this up is because tying it into the mentalities we talked about, having a neutral view of food will actually impact your physiology. When you're eating a 100 calorie snack pack, whether you're eating a 100 calorie snack pack or 100 calories of Oreos, you might feel less satisfied with the 100 calorie snack pack because you're already thinking this is a light diet type food. Mm -hmm. If I just eat the 100 calories of Oreos, you're going to have more satisfaction and your ground levels are actually going to reflect that. So that was a really good question and I'm jazzed I was able to share yep. about the milkshake study um, because there is a huge physiological response to this mindset component.
good question. Yeah. I feel like I see a hand about to go up. Yeah. Yes. If you have a more more scientific answer for that, but I mean it. I'll, I'll let you take that one. Sure, said, sure. Yeah. Yes. Um, so your stomach is meant to like grow and expand, and outside of the extreme cases, we're talking like anorexia nervosa or you know really really extreme morbid obesity your stomach is going to stay about the same size so it's going to depend on the nutrient content of the foods having things that are higher in protein fiber and fat is going to make you feel fuller for longer and so you're not going to need to consume the same quantity of foods if you did something that is a more simple sugar um, or like a more simple carbohydrate and so that's really where from like a, a shrinkage standpoint, our stomachs continue to grow until about like our late teens when we're almost in our full body. So if you're working with college athletes, they've pretty much established their stomach size um, and the normal adult size stomach it can hold about two liters of contents at one time. So if you notice that you're bloated, that's a very normal thing. Um, and so it's not necessarily going to shrink, you're just going to change how the foods make you feel. Mm -hmm. Did that answer your question? Okay, you're welcome, yeah. Yes, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. Um, snacks, snacks are my best friend, they're your best friend, they should be. Um, so protein and protein, fats, and fiber are gonna be things that really tend to make you feel that full and satisfied feeling. Now, like if we're talking just in travel, those things are great. If we're talking like travel and right before we go to compete or work out, you want carbs, they're quick digesting, they go through you quickly, um, they give you that quick energy you need. Like I said, carbs, calories are energy. Those proteins, um, fats are going to help keep you full. They're also very um, nutrient dense, they're calorie dense. Um, and so they're going to, again, help with that fullness, help make sure you're getting enough calories. And sometimes because they're very, um, nutritionally dense, you don't have to eat as much volume. I know it may not be the same for everyone, but I know before I would compete, I actually ate less because I didn't like that full feeling before you go, you go work out, you go compete. Maybe you're nervous. You don't want that feeling in your stomach. So it can be really hard to get enough in, um, enough energy that you need to perform. So um, yeah, things like, um, I would say um, beef jerky, turkey sticks are my favorite. Um, what else? Dried fruit. They're carbs, but they are um, great carbs for, um, one, they travel well, and two, also for performance. Um, cheese stick, nuts, I'm trying to think other, other snacks, fruit. Yeah. yeah, I love like the individual packets of mm -hmm. nut butters. Those are super great. If you have fruits that you can travel with, bananas, oranges, things that keep to themselves, you can add nut butter to your bananas. Um, just to travel here, I have two massive bags of snacks. Find a dietitian, you will find the snacks. And I have things like granola and kind bars and um, almonds, chocolate-covered almonds, because I'm all about that satisfaction. I was going to say, I got dark yeah. chocolate in my bag. Yes. So much of it. <laughs> um, so those would be some examples. But yeah, it, depending on if your school, which I believe if they give you either the per diem or they just purchase it for you, you may not have as much control. Bringing things with you can help ensure that you at least have foods that you are used to because the biggest thing i think my number one thing for all of the athletes in here as much as you can minimize new things before you compete 
try and keep things with you. That's why having a fueling plan during preseason, um, during practices, trying out what foods are going to work for you is going to be the most beneficial. Avoid new things as much as possible. Sometimes you can't, you're on the road and you're like, well, I've never eaten at this place before, but we'll see how it goes, but to the best of your abilities. Yeah. I know you had a question. It's a complex one. Um, <laughs> go ahead. The Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics came out and found that they are not very accurate in determining true food sensitivities because most of the time what they're looking at is the IgG and that is just telling us if you consumed the food most recently. So sometimes people will say, well, it says I'm, I'm, I'm sensitive to eggs. I, just, I eat eggs every day. That's because it's telling us what you had consumed most recently. There are some, like I would recommend going to an allergist and they can actually do like a comprehensive um, panel to see if you have true food sensitivities. But the biggest thing, and this is gonna go for everything, is what works for you. Mm -hmm. If you notice a food is bothering you and you do do a food sensitivity test and it says you're fine, um, still avoid it. But for the most part, the Academy has said that they don't endorse them, and, and that's kind of the, the stance yeah. I think both of us. Yeah, I agree. Um, I will say that you may not have a, I'll say diagnosed food sensitivity, but sometimes if we cut out a food, say you cut out dairy for a while, and you try to add it back in, or carbohydrates, if you're on a like keto or low carb diet, you're going to feel a sensitivity because again, yeah. those levels are gonna be like, whoa, what are we putting in our body? This is new. So you might feel a sensitivity to it when you start incorporating them if you haven't had it in your diet in a while. Yeah. That's a great point because those extremes, like with lactose specifically, if you do yeah. know that you cut out dairy, your body actually stops producing the lactase enzyme that breaks it down. And so when we do jump to these extremes, there can be some significant repercussions on our yeah. body, um, which is why we really do preach that, you know, moderation, addition, restri over restriction kind of mm -hmm. thing. It's a good yeah. question. Any other questions? I'll say my intramural team um, in, in college was known as, as the drinking team. Um, yeah, so there's that. So I, I feel that. Um, I think, so it's hard. You're in college. We, we use alcohol a lot of times more than we should in college. But um, it's, again, comes back to mindset, you know, moderating if you can. Also, food-wise, though, you want to make sure you're eating with it. Um, not only can drinking alcohol throw off your those hunger cues, all, all what your body is trying to tell you, um, can throw them off when you're drinking as well as the next day. Your um, leads to dehydration. So if you're performing, you're sweating, you're competing, um, being dehydrated, starting off the day dehydrated is not going to uh, be helpful. So try to make sure you're still eating enough, hydrating enough. Yeah. Do you have any other tips for alcohol? It's a complex one. It is. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off of that. This is yeah. not the most practical, but oftentimes <laughs> I will say like one to one, one drink plus one glass of water because um, that's going to help with 
slowing down the impact you're going to have from the alcohol and then carbohydrates as well because both alcohol and carbohydrates are processed through our liver and so when you have carbohydrates with the alcohol it's going to help to slow down the impact you're not going to feel you're not going to feel that buzz quite as fast but that's also going to be beneficial from a health standpoint and a performance standpoint I think we have time for maybe one more question if anyone has any questions. Yeah? Good question. <laughs> um, I'm pretty much on Instagram at Kara Wilson Nutrition. Um, if you are in the healthcare field now that you've transitioned out of sport, come find me. Um, it's really, I love helping um, our healthcare providers as well as um, relating to them on that, that athlete level. So many um, crossing over characteristics. Yeah, I am, my uh, full-time job is as a dietitian in the pediatric ICU, and so I follow Kara, and I love her scrub snacks ideas. I'm just like, yeah, I'm putting scrub snacks in my, sn <laughs> my scrubs. Um, but I am at fueling.former.athletes. That's me on Instagram. You can find me at my website, spotastrongnutrition.com as well. And then um, I have an online course for former athletes called the Fueled Former Athlete Academy. Um, you can find that in my link in bio on Instagram or also on my website. And because you guys are attending the conference, you actually are getting a 50% off code. So the code is just ShakeOut. You just enter the code at checkout and that will drop it down to 50% off if you're interested in enrolling in that course. That's awesome, Katie. Yeah, yeah the course is amazing. Um, yeah. Thank you guys so Yeah, much. I was going to say, thank you guys. If you have any questions, feel free to come up and chat with us after and um, enjoy the rest of the conference.